what's a good kind of overflowing and a bad kind of overflowing? All right, what's bad overflowing and what's good overflowing? That passage talks about overflowing with thankfulness, okay? There's good overflowing and there's bad overflowing. What do you think? Bad overflowing is sewage spilling into rivers. Sewage going into the rivers like the River Chess or around here or one of those. Yes, okay, oh, that's a bad overflow. Bad overflow, good overflow. More ideas. Anger. Anger, okay, yes. Uncontrolled overflowing anger. Anger's okay. normal, but overflowing, maybe not. Yeah, that explosion of anger, definitely not a good overflow, all right? Other than good and bad overflows, what do you think? Rivers overflowing and flooding. Flooding, like we've seen in Germany recently. Yeah. That's not a good overflow. Uh, Joe, Lisa, Scarlet, bad overflowing of resentment. Okay, when resentment flows over. Okay. Yeah. Think overflowing gratitude is is lovely. Oh, Palmers, we're on the we're we're on the same uh, same wavelength. <laughs> That's it. Gratitude for things in life. Good overflow. Yeah. Bad. Oil spillage. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Bill is old enough to remember this, but there was a in the '60s there was an oil tanker called the Torrey Canyon that uh, uh, that uh, crashed on some rocks on the south of England, and that was the first time I was aware as a young kid of, of what an oil spillage was all about. It was massive news for days uh, in that area. Of course, there've been many since then, um, but that's a bad overflow. But gratitude, good overflow. Okay, a few more. Desmond and Esther, too much food when going to a buffet. Is that a personal confession, Desmond? Is that what that is? <laughs> but no, you're right, you know, sometimes the eyes are bigger than the stomach, as they say, and uh, we just keep eating. Oh, my goodness. Especially if you've paid one of those fixed price buffets where you've paid, then you want to get maximum value, right? Mm, been there. Uh, good overflow is forgiveness, Joe, Lisa, and Scarlett. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I think about um, overflow of love. I think about different times when I've felt that, like uh, when, you know, when any of my children were born, that complete overflow of love. Yeah, yeah, so true. And, and you and Ava would be able to relate to the sort of maximum levels of childbearing overflow of love uh, amongst us here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a wonderful overflow. Yeah, overflowing is one of those things in life that has the potential to be dis very destructive, very distressing or tremendously life-affirming, life-enriching, spiritually enriching, and knowing how to, how to find the right kind of overflow, how to develop the right kind of overflowing in our lives, is a large measure as to how, is large part is a good measure as to how we're growing as people of the Christian faith. I would hope that the older I get as a Christian, the less I overflow with resentment or a bad attitudes or a, an a unforgiveness or uh, fits of rage, that kind of uh, anger or lust or greed or 
these things would not be the overflow of my life and let there be less and less that be the case. And more and more, I would hope the older I am as a Christian, the more I would overflow in the things that are the things that overflowed from Christ, the things that overflowed from him, acceptance, lack of judgment, kindness, a willingness to help people with their practical challenges in life, an overflow of spiritual uh, concern, an overflow of uh, willingness to be courageous in front of opposition, an overflow of love in general, of course, an overflow of a willingness to even pray for and forgive one's enemies, an overflow of all that is godly. And that's what we see in Jesus. He came to this earth for many reasons, but one of the reasons is to demonstrate what it means to have the heart of God and to see the way in which that heart overflows through the way he lived to demonstrate to us and to inspire us having the spirit of Christ to do to live a similar life, a life of overflow, of positive overflow, of constructive overflow, of life-changing overflow, of eternity-impacting overflow. And today we're going to discuss just for a little while what it means to have that overflow and how perhaps we might develop that personally, but also as a church, as a what for congregation spread out today as we all are into Milton Keynes and Hatfield and Aylesbury and wherever we are, it doesn't really matter where we are exactly. How can we overflow in this, in this right way, in this good way, in this godly way, in this Christ-like way? So to go back to our passage, this is what Paul thinks the Colossian church are capable of. And I think this is important because <laughs> there are times in my life, and, and it seems to happen quite often, and maybe it's happening to you right now, when I, I feel like I can't overflow with Christ in the way I really would like to or feel perhaps I should. And things are getting in the way. Challenges, problems, disappointments, hurts seem to get in the way of me being able to, and perhaps us as a church being able to overflow with uh, Christ-likeness. But Paul has this vision for the church in Colossae when he says, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So he wouldn't say that unless he believed that they could live lives overflowing with thankfulness. So he begins with continue, and the word continue there in verse 6 is the word for walking in walking like it's 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 lifestyle is what he's talking about your lifestyle of living your lives in him of walking in him that will lead ultimately to overflowing with thankfulness so what i'd like to do is just to pull apart a few things from this verse have a discussion together and see if we can find ways personally as a church to develop our thankfulness overflow so uh, first of all, a little bit of context for those of us who don't know much about the book of Colossians. I'll just share with you um, the context of what's going on here in that, um, where are we actually? So here we are in uh, what's uh, Asia Minor, now Turkey, in the days of Paul. Paul is probably writing this letter from Ephesus, place Penny and I have been to a, a couple of times now, I think. 
And uh, some people think he's writing from Rome. He may have been, or he may have been writing from Ephesus. Uh, the church Colossae is here. If you can see my mouse pointing to it, it's small text. I'm sorry about that. And it's up what's called the Lycus Valley. This valley here where the river goes, it's called the Lycus Valley. And there were several churches up here. There's one at Laodicea, one at Hierapolis, and one at Colossae. There may have been more, but there were at least three churches this end of the valley. And this end of the valley is somewhere Paul has actually never visited. He says that earlier on in, in this uh, uh, chapter and other parts of Colossians that he's writing to a church he's not visited. So he's writing to this sort of group of churches here. He tells the church in Colossae at the end of the book uh, to make sure this letter is read in the other churches. So it was a letter that was written to the church there, but there were relevant um, um, things he's writing to the other congregations in the area. So that's where we are in the early days of the church. Let me come uh, out, of, uh, out of that. And let me see if I... And just to give us also another bit of a, a picture here, let me just uh, get rid of that and go to the text. Just earlier on in Colossians here, we find in uh, chapter 2, we, just a little more context to this. Um, so Paul is working hard, he says, how hard I'm contending for those at Laodicea and all have not met me personally. So he's praying, and, and in fact, for them a lot. He wants them to be encouraged in their hearts, united in love, to have the full riches of complete understanding, to know the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So see why this is important, because if we're going to overflow, we need to know that we can be filled up. And if we've got all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, and we are in Christ, we have everything we need. So therefore, we're able to overflow, not out of our own resources, but out of the resources that Christ has given us. Um, and he says, then in verse six and seven, where we are now, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. So the receive Christ Jesus as Lord is significant, but what he's talking about there is, is the fact that we've received him in the way that he is meant to be received. So this isn't just some kind of intellectual belief. We've received him, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, you could say, and Lord. So he's Lord of our lives. We've made that decision to surrender. We are disciples of his. We've given up everything to follow him. And he is our savior. We acknowledge him as the Messiah, the sent one. We acknowledge him as our Lord. We don't just believe in our heads. We've, we've given our hearts to him. So just as you did that, and later on in chapter two, he talks about baptism uh, in, uh, in verse 12 down here, if you can see it on the page. Uh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So that's how we got, if you like, into Christ. We've received him by in that way. He says, just as you've done that, continue to live your lives in him. Continue. So a couple of things about that. The word continue is interesting because what he is, what he's saying by saying continue is he's saying uh, you've got a choice. Uh, and Christians always have a choice. We have a choice whether to continue walking with Christ or to stop. And there's some, it's, it's good that we have a choice, so we're not forced into it. But it does mean that there's a responsibilities on us to think about how we can maintain our connection with Christ and then walk with him and then find ourselves not only rooted, but built up, strengthened and overflowing. 
So there's a choice uh, there. And it's the choice is to continue to live your lives in him, live your lives in him to walk uh, with him. And in Judaism, in, in the old Hebrew way of thinking in the Old uh, Testament, the Old Covenant, there's a concept which carries on into the New Testament and the New Covenant of walking in, uh, in the way of God. The Jewish teachers describe their moral laws, which they derived from the Old Testament, as ha um, halakha. And that Hebrew word halakha literally means walking. So if you love God, you walk with God, uh, like Enoch for example, in the Old Testament. And there's an allusion to it in Ezekiel 36 as well, famous passage, when it says that uh, God was going to put his spirit in his people in the end times, and they would walk in his commandments, even though they had failed to keep the law's righteousness in their own strength. And so in that passage and others, it, it shows us that we can walk with God. We can walk in Christ. But that walking comes from God's strength in us, connected to, allied with our willingness to walk in that way. They have started walking well. He says earlier, I'm delighted to see how disciplined you are, how firm your faith in Christ is. Good. They started well. So then, since that's how you started, continue with it. So one of the things for us to think about is, what is it that keeps me with Christ? that keeps me walking with him? What are the key things that strengthen me in my motivation and desire to walk with him? Not just believe in him, not just do some activities or attend a service like this online, but what helps me to walk in Christ? What does that mean to me? That's one of the things for us to, to think about, how we keep our, our life and doctrine together, you could say. You know that famous passage most of us know in 1 Timothy 4.16, Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. And often that's, talk, that's used in the, from the perspective of life and doctrine being you know, two separate things, like two wings of an airplane. And there's some ways in which you could see it that way. But actually, in first century thought, especially in Jude, Jew, Jew, Jewish thought, they, they didn't really separate these two things. Life and doctrine go together. In other words, it's not really life, make sure that's sorted out, the right life, and doctrine, make sure you've got your beliefs sorted out. First century thinking and, and ancient thinking wasn't really like that. It was, it was more they were blended. So you've got, it's not life and doctrine so much as life hyphen doctrine. Uh, make sure you've got your life doctrine sorted out. Or maybe it's a forward slash. Make sure you've got your life forward slash doctrine uh, on straight, because the way we live is as much our doctrine as what we believe. And so it's our beliefs and the way we live that, that work together. And I think that's what he's saying here in, in Colossians 2, live your lives in him. So something to think about is what helps me, what might help us as a congregation to live our beliefs, to live them in a way that honors what Jesus has done in us and for us. Okay, so that's our first thought from this passage. And he says, live your lives in him rooted. Now, rooted here is in the, uh, in the Greek, in the passive, which means it's done. It's finished. You, you've been rooted. What Christ has done for you means you are rooted in him. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, we're rooted in, in him by grace and by his love. 
Uh, roots are very important, of course, we know that. Uh, and I will share uh, a picture for you here that I found uh, earlier. You know, strong roots really matter, don't they? A strongly rooted tree can withstand all kinds of pressure, all, all kinds of storms. And what Paul is saying is, you have been rooted in Christ. Whatever storms come along, you can handle it. Or better still, Christ in you can handle it. It doesn't always feel that way. You and I have been through some things these last few months or year or more now, where it's often felt for, to many of us that we just can't go on. We can't cope with this in our faith or just in, in life. Uh, some of us have, have had bereavements, like my mother dying, as you know, most of us know. Um, that, you know, how do you handle that? Some of us have had tremendous disappointments or the disruption of job challenges, financial problems. Um, even today, hearing about three of our members or, or uh, close, people close to us having significant medical challenges in the last few, few hours, it disrupts so much. Um, some of you, like Dele and your family, you've, you've, you've been moving around the world. And uh, Stefan and Liesl, the same thing, you know, being torn, in a sense, away from us to go to South Africa for a while to take care of family. And it, th there are a lot of things that we feel disturb our stability. What, what Paul is saying here and what we're offered is that we may feel disturbed. We may feel shaken, to use the image from Hebrews chapter 10. We sometimes feel shaken, but the kingdom is never shaken. The kingdom is never shaken, and the kingdom is never shaken because the king is never shaken. And our roots are in the king. There's a bit of a mixed metaphor here, but our roots are in the king, the unshakable king, never shaken. Jesus has never been shaken from his position. His resurrected lordship is totally secure for all time. He's resurrected, ascended into heaven, ever lives there to intercede for you and me, to help us in our time of need, as many of us would feel it right now. So are we taking our disturbances to Jesus? Are we taking them to the television set? Are we taking them to the, um, the wine bottle? Are we taking them to um, whatever, internet shopping? Are we, are we taking our troubles? Or are we taking them to Christ, the unshakable, the, the rooted one in whom we are rooted? Good question to think about is, uh, how am I dealing with, with the things that disturb me? And how can I... How can I uh, enjoy dwelling on and relying on uh, those roots? What can I do to stay rooted uh, in, in the right sense? Rooted and built up. So I don't know how many of us have tried bricklaying. Uh, I never have. But that, he's talking about house building when he's talking about being built up here. That's the image and the idea that Paul has here. So I just got, I've, I've never tried bricklaying and I never will. Uh, but I'm just going to put one brick on another here just for now uh you can't see that where is it there we go okay let's two bricks all right being built up we he's saying that we can be built up this is heavy hang on God, bricks are heavier than they look so being built up and he's saying this is what happens when we're rooted we walk in christ we're rooted in him and then it's like God builds something magnificent for his glory. 
I don't think you and I really do the building in many ways. It says in Corinthians that God builds his church. God grows his church. And that's true. It's God who does it. And God's been doing that, I think, in Watford. I think God has been building his church. I think he's been building his church in maturity through these troubled times. And in some ways, he's been building our numbers as more and more people have been joining us over the last year or more. It's wonderful. What does it mean to be built? What does it mean to be built up, to, to build, be built up in a sense deeper and higher in Christ? What does it mean to you to be built up? What helps you to be built up in, in Christ? And if we built up in Christ, then we overflow. All right, I'm going to do something a little bit risky here. All right, so I have a bowl with me. And, and oh, and then we get strengthened. Sorry, yeah, we get strengthened in our faith, right? So I have one of Fred's weights here which is very dusty, which means you can see it hasn't been used for a long time. So, uh, and I haven't been using it. But uh, anyway, so we get strengthened in the face. We're, we're walking Christ. We, uh, we're rooted in him. We're built up in him, strengthened in the faith as a result. And put that down before I die. And then it leads us to being overflowing. So Christ in us, right? So think about this. This is not a perfect illustration by any means, right? So forgive the the uh, the loose edges of this illustration. But if you've got if you've got Christ filling us up, eventually, if we're filled to the brim with Christ, which we get at baptism, right? We get filled with Christ. We have all the life of Christ in us in our baptism. We're born again. We are given new life. We are filled up. And the book of Colossians talks a lot about being fulfilled and filled up. Christ fulfills everything and fills us up. And so we get filled up with the Spirit. And you know that we're given the Spirit because for, the, for many reasons. And one is that it's to uh, confirm our election and to guarantee our status and to seal us for the day of redemption. But the other reason is to be filled with the fruit of the spirit which is the nature of christ right christ has all the fruit of the spirit to the full to the max and so you and i as we grow as a congregation and personally we are being filled up filled up filled up and then since we've been filled up with christ then as we as we live our christian lives it spills over and i'm, I'm spilling it into a bowl here so that i don't put it all over my computer and short circuit the neighborhood um but that's this is the idea we get filled with christ and we overflow with thankfulness. And I don't know about you, but I notice thankful people, even if I don't know them. It's like you're walking down the street and you notice people who just, when they're thankful, they're really, really thankful. You can tell, you can see it. You'll see it in the street. You'll see it in the supermarket. You'll see it, you'll see it everywhere you go. Thankful people, overflowing with thankfulness, stand out and they spill over as I'm trying to make sure I don't do from the larger bowl I'm using here. So we've got, we've got this image, this, this, this uh, vision uh, from Paul to the Colossians I'd like us to think about. So as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, and how did we receive him? We, we received him with humility and with gratitude that he would love us so much that he would die for us. And then we received him in obedience by being baptized into Christ, following him as a disciple, then so continue to live your lives in him. Continue to walk uh, according to what you believe. You are rooted, therefore you are secure. You are rooted and built up in him. Built up is in the active tense, so the building is still going on. 
you and I are being built more more into Christ personally, but collectively as a church, you're being built up more and more into the image of Christ to, to show the world, built up in him, strengthened in the faith, okay, and that's what happens as we continue with this, and overflowing, and therefore we overflow. The overflow is natural when we are living this life and rooted and built up. And the overflow happens because when the overflow happens, then God gets the glory and people notice and they're attracted to Jesus. This overflowing word is used many times in the New Testament. And I'll put some scripture references in the, um, maybe in the chat a little, uh, afterwards. But it's the same word used when the baskets of food are left over after the feeding of the uh, 5,000. The leftovers are called the overspill, the overflow. In Acts chapter 16, the church was overflowing with new disciples. Acts 16, 5, they grew daily. That's the same word. They were overflowing with new people becoming Christians. In Romans 15, verse 13, uh, we can overflow, he says, with hope. In 1 Corinthians 14, overflowing with gifts to build up the church. 1 Corinthians 15, we overflow in our work for the Lord. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we overflow in suffering and comfort. In 2 Corinthians 4, we overflow with thanksgiving. In 2 Corinthians 9, the overflow of thanks comes because of helping God's people with their needs. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, God overflowed his love and grace to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the command is to let our love overflow for one another. That's the same Greek word being used here in this passage. So many ways in which we can overflow to the glory of God and the benefit of other people. So I want to stop here for a moment and ask anybody who'd like to, to share with the rest of us any thoughts you've had about how, what it means to overflow. What does it mean to be built up in Christ? What does it mean to be strengthened in the faith to you? What does it mean to overflow with thankfulness? Let's...